0: Hey baddies. How was everyone's first week of pre Halloween? I uh, watched Hocus Pocus (laughs) once, one time, but certainly not the last. I uh, ordered some spiderweb pillows from uh, this designer that I saw on Instagram. I didn't have any pumpkin flavored coffee because I can't have coffee, which is the biggest regret of my life. Um, I was nice to a spider. I didn't directly look into any mirrors because I didn't want to see any ghosties or ghouls. And, um, I bought probably too many candles. I'm going to be brave on this episode and say there are too many candles. Like you can't own too many at one time when you're only casting one spell a week because, or less, because you're a bad witch. Um, so I probably didn't need like 15, but (laughs) that's where we are. So I think I'm going to try, you know, I see a lot of my friends that are, uh, religious in a different way than, well, this podcast isn't religious, so they're religious. And I see them do these like scripture challenges where they do 30 days of Bible quotes or 30 days of prayers. I'm not great with, uh, Bible challenges. I don't know them very well, (laughs) but since I have already bought so many things for Halloween and, um, you know, we have even when we get to October, we have 30 whole days to get there. I thought maybe it'd be fun to do some kind of like 30 day bad witch Samhain something to count down to it. Kind of like an advent calendar for Christmas, um, which it will involve chocolate. I'm just going to be honest now. We should definitely be treating ourselves every day. So yeah, I, I think I might want to do something like that. I think it'd be really fun. And since we're already counting down as of August 1st, <laughs> we have two months to go. Two and a half months, right? I'm not, I don't know, timer, math. We talk about this every week and yet I still try. Um, I think it might be fun on October 1st to start like a Salwin Bad Witch countdown or challenge of some sort. So if you're into that idea, let me know and let's talk about it and come up with some ideas. Um, You know, even if it's just 30 days of lighting a candle, 30 days of setting a different intention, one intention a day, 30 days of uh, meditation. Hi, have you meditated at all. I haven't. Oh, I've been so bad about it. I got like really busy out of nowhere <laughs> in the past week. Uh, but that's my excuse because I've had weeks and weeks and weeks to meditate. But I think of being so busy, I've been made more aware of, I really need to be meditating and especially carving out time to do it. Cause like when I had all the time in the world to do it, I wasn't doing it, which I feel like sometimes you feel like you can get away with because you don't, you don't feel like you need all of the benefits of meditation when things are going super smoothly and you're not hectic and things aren't just kind of cuckoo bananas. But then when you enter a phase where things go just kind of, and not, I was going to say haywire, but it hasn't been anything bad. It's just been busy, busy, busy. I'm a busy little bumblebee that I'm aware now that I'm like, ooh, I need meditation because I need to slow down. I need to focus. I need to manifest. Like all of these things are coming to fruition. So Uh, one week off is an excuse or one off week is an excuse. I've been so bad about it. So, uh, yeah, I've been a real bad witch lately. I, when was the last time I meditated? I mean, the argument can be made that we meditate all the time and we manifest all the time. But I mean, there is something to be said for actually setting aside time for meditation and versus doing something meditative, right? So I need to actually take thirty minutes and meditate. That's going to be uh, my personal challenge for this week, and I hope that you will join me. Maybe I'll like post it in the Facebook group, like, "Hey, I'm going to meditate. So if anyone wants to do it with me, let's like harbor some good, some good bad <laughs> witch energy and do some kind of I don't know, like group meditation. On maybe we can pick something we want to meditate on. There's, <laughs> there's no end to the things that we could focus on with how crazy the world is currently, and always. But yeah, anyway, back to this idea for October. Uh, Maybe, yeah, 30 days of meditation, 30 days of setting intentions, 30 days of candles, 30 crystals, one crystal a day for 30 days. I don't know. Let's come up with something that would be fun. Uh, 30 rituals. I don't know. Let's talk about it and let's come up with something. I think it would be really... It's something to look forward to for October 1st. Like, obviously, we're all hype about Halloween and we're all hype about Halloween and we, like, want the 31st to get here even though Mercury goes retrograde. Let's not forget. Ooh, maybe it could be, like, 30 days to prep for Mercury going retrograde so we can be like so optimistic about going into it and setting like a really great tone. I don't know. I'm just like spitballing ideas. Obviously that's what this whole podcast is live while I'm recording. I just like to suss everything out, but I do think it would be really exciting to have something to look forward to starting on the first. And so, and you know, just building up that momo- that momentum. what is a momentum? <laughs> build up that momentum And so, by the time we get to our blessed day of Samhain, you know, we've done a lot of spiritual work leading up to it at that point. And we're just ripped and ready to go. So, we don't bad witch it up. And it's October 30th, and you're like, oh shit, I don't have any candles. I don't have any crystals. I don't have that wand I really wanted to order. (laughs) My altar is in shambles. You know, let's not be a bad witch about everything. Sometimes we can. Uh, we can still be bad witches and we can be badasses with a lot of power and not have to be perfect, but it doesn't mean we can't be prepared, bad witches. So yeah, I think that would be really fun. I just want it to be Samhain so badly. I was driving today and I looked at the temperature on my dashboard and it said 102 degrees. And <laughs> just like, I know that I, as of August 1st, entered this delusional state and I know it's delusional, I know, where I was like, it's fall. It's basically Halloween. Boots, check. Coat, check. <laughs> a Scarf, check. Beret, check. Velvet, dresses, let's do it. And the earth herself and all the elements came together to be like, girl, it's 102 degrees outside. Number one, drink some water. What are you doing? Number two, put on a t-shirt and some shorts and like collect yourself because you're not going to make it to Samhain if you're trying to wear a coat when it's 102 degrees outside because you're trying to go with this whole, if I build it, it will come mentality about autumn and fall. So yeah, it's it's clearly still summer, but I think that the more work we do in preparation leading up to Samhain, the more magical it'll be for all of us. So I'm really excited to do this challenge or countdown, whatever we decide to make of it. And by the time we get to Salwin, we're going to be in peak good bad witch form. And speaking of bad witch, hi, welcome to bad witch podcast, the podcast where we are going to get our witch shit together one spell at a time. Did I say that last week? I'm trying to remember. I, for some reason in my head, I feel like I skipped it. I just always start talking now and forget to say it. But this is Bad Witch, this is the podcast that you are looking for if you typed in Bad Witch, and we are going to get our shit together, eventually. <laughs> Truly no rush, we got plenty of time. Um, so I wanted to, of course we're going to pick up with last week's topic, well, you know, this joint topic of talking all about our witchy tools, tool time part two, but I also wanted to start this week um, talking about Angelina Jolie again. <laughs> Don't worry, this isn't going to be like how I talk about the craft every week, but I was so enamored of that article, obviously, that I shared, and I feel like so many people connected with it, and it really resonated. And the whole wicked women thing, like I've been carrying that like a banner all week long. Um, and so I wanted to talk about two things that kind of relate to Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. (laughs) You know, I love pop culture. (laughs) I'm not pulling the rub out from under you. This is not going to all of a sudden turn into a pop culture podcast. I mean, it is a little bit. But I wanted to talk about a gift that I have that I realized because of Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt and a couple of other like very high profile celebrity couples and a couple of people I know personally. Um, and I want to put it out there because I haven't met anyone else that has this and it would be nice to, I would like to find someone that I could relate to about it. And if you know, you've know you had this thing the whole time you've been like, oh my God, Mickey finally said the thing that I have, <laughs> it would be great because... It's a gift that unlike reading cards or like unlike being able to do candle magic or um, having precognition or premonitions to an extent, I don't really know what to do with it. It's just something that I have. And also (laughs) let me just note now it has never personally benefited me. It's like a site that I, it's a site that I have for other people. I can't do it for myself. So like, I mean, I get nothing out of it. Not that you're supposed to get anything out of your magic, but you know, it'd be nice if I could do it for myself. Uh, and the second thing is I want to talk about how we, it's okay for us to accept that things in life that are meant for us don't have to be meant for us forever. You know, like we have these ideas for good reason. You know, this is what we're taught about fate and soulmates and all of these things that when something is meant for us, it's like, okay, fine. Ooh, I got it. I'm at the end. I found the thing that I was supposed to have, or I found the thing I was supposed to do, or the person I was supposed to be with. And that's it, like end of the road. But a lot of times things that are meant for us are going to be in a temporary capacity. And it can be something as intense as being in a relationship and being married and having children, or it could be something as frivolous as, uh, you know, a trip that you were destined to take because of the lessons you were going to learn on it. So I want to talk about that because I kind of want to take the pressure out of that situation of thinking just because something is meant for you means that it's meant forever. A lot of the times it's not. And so it's okay to release something even if it started out with that very strong feeling of like, oh, this is so meant for me. This person is so meant for me. This situation is so meant for me. You know, this is fate. Fate has finally come true. Well, I mean, yeah, it could absolutely be that your fate is finally being realized, but it doesn't mean that it has to be that way forever. You know, fate and our lifelines and our journeys and these, uh, these reincarnations we go through are limitless and infinite, and we're always continuing on one track. So it doesn't mean, you know, if you do something at 25 years old and it feels so right and complete at the time that it's going to feel that way when you're 35 or when you're 45, trust me, I know. So yeah, I want to talk about those two things in relation to Angelina and Brad. I almost said Angelina and Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's too related. Uh So let's start with the gift that I have. It's a doozy. So I don't even have a name for this. I don't. I don't know what it's called. Someone, some of you may be truly about to school me, because I, I have no no word for it. But I like to call it the gift of romantic sight. Um, I can basically see soulmates. I can see people that are about to enter a relationship. I can see people that are meant to be together for at least some frame of time. Um, you know how you say when you meet someone and it's kind of like this coup de foudre moment and there's sparks flying. I can see the sparks between people. I can, it's, it sounds so like hard to explain, but I can see like if attraction was a tangible thing, if it drew lines between people and we could actually see those cords being formed, I can see that they are colorful and they look like kind of glimmering threads to me. And I can literally see sparks flying between people. Again, this is a gift that I in no way have for myself, (laughs) which is why my relationships are usually a cuckoo, but I can do it with other people. And the, Three biggest instances that I have as an example of this, I have like three celebrity couples that I've done this with. And then I just, I can do it with my friends, but like, oh, I kind of try not to, (laughs) that's the thing, right? When you're a witch and you can get such a, especially if you're an empathic witch and you can get such a good read on people, on a situation, you can see the future to some extent, you just get those vibrations, right? And so it's two things I kind of won't do. I won't read my own very, very close friends. Um, Like, I'll read their cards, but I won't read situations for them, and I won't read them as individuals Um, because I don't want to fight. Like, I don't want them to be mad at me, and I don't want them to square up on me. So I just try to not do it. If they come to me for advice, absolutely. Like, we will get a card session going. I will tap into things for them. But I've had people, for instance, be like, well, what do you – what do you really feel about me? Like, what do you think are my weaknesses? And I'm like, Oh no, I'm not falling for that trap. <laughs> so as much as I can do it with like an individual, like so, so many of us can, that's like the thing about being a witch, right? Uh, I can do it romantically. And so I can say, well, I mean, you're just going to break up anyway. So why even do this? Or, I mean, this person is a trash person and you don't see it yet, but I see it and I can see it six months from now. So let's just, just not but you know you can't tell anybody anything about their relationship <laughs> that is the ultimate shoot the messenger situation so um I will usually say one or two things and I'm never one to be like I mean I told you so because I will try not to tell back in my youth like in my 20s and like my early 20s and late teens I always be like mm, uh-uh, I don't like that person this is why I don't like them I will never like them and you know I don't know if that's just a personality trait. I'm gonna get back to the celebrity couples in a second. I don't know if that's just a personality trait of mine or if it's a witch trait. I really think it's a witch trait. But when you meet someone, you just know. You just know if their vibe is off. You you can read them like a book even though it's your first interaction. And it is kind of satisfying at the end to yourself, don't say this to other people, but to yourself to say, I knew it. My intuition, my intuition was right. I knew this was gonna happen. Like. I'm sorry for my friend, of course, you are going to be there for your friend regardless and take care of them and listen to them bitch and moan and complain because we've all been in that situation and will be probably again and again. Um, but yeah, it kind of does reinforce your witchiness to be like, I mean, yeah, of course that person was garbage because they were garbage from the moment I shook hands with them. I felt their garbage energy tried to like infiltrate my beautiful witch or, <laughs> you know, but yeah, with friends, I won't read them romantically and I won't, Read them personally, especially not romantically though, because it just never goes well. They're they're just unless it's an ex- ugh, even if it's like an extreme situation where someone might be in danger to some extent, it they it's that's really really hard to break out of. You know it's cyclical for a reason. So I try not to read. My, I don't even try. I won't read my friends romantically. Uh, Please don't ask me <laughs> what I think of your boyfriend or girlfriend. If it's something good, I will tell you. Uh, if it's not, I will just make my face that emoji where the two eyes are like looking off to the side. I mean, I guess a side eye, (laughs) but anyway, so yeah, I can, I have had a lot of instances of it where I can read it in my real life every day, especially when I was like in my early twenties and going out to bars and clubs, I could be like, Oh, those two people are going home together. Those two people are going to hook up. Those 2 That's the same thing, isn't it? Those two people are going to date. These two just fell in love. These two are not meant to be together. These two are horrible. Like, I can just, I'm really, really, really sensitive to that. So again, gift a romantic site. But um, actually, let me do the one specific instance that uh, happens in my real life, and then I'll talk about the three celebrity couples. Because I know that's why you're here. (laughs) To, To talk about celebrity gossip. (laughs) <laughs> That's from 15 years ago when I saw these sparks. Um when I was in uh when I was in university, I went to London and did a study abroad one summer, but it was with my college. So it was a bunch of American kids moving into this it wasn't a I, I don't know if it was a dorm or if it was like a London version of a dorm. It was this ve- very beautiful nice house in Notting Hill and with different levels and kind of more like a hotel, I guess. And I there was maybe 25 girls and two straight guys. So it was already slim pickings. You know what? I was actually in this program with um someone that is on a Bravo show now who's on Southern Charm New Orleans. So like, <laughs> I'm just saying that because it's like another pop culture tie-in. But yeah, so it was uh 25, whatever, 25 girls, two straight guys. And then there was like two straight guys that also – like worked in the program in the building who were British. So, I mean, it was just, we were just trying to make the best of a a low quality situation. But I remember uh, I was coming out, I was walking down with one of the girls in the program and we opened the door and another guy, one of the two guys that was in the program was coming through at the same time. And they looked at each other. I almost want to say their names, but I mean, that's like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say their names, but it's just because I remember it so vividly. I don't remember hardly anyone else from that program because it was 12 years ago, but I remember their names. I remember their faces, what they were wearing, how they looked at each other, where we were standing, what the temperature was like, like all of these things. And you know, we we opened the door at the same time and they looked at each other and I was like, oh, they're going to hook up. And, you know, because there were so few guys, it's not like all of these romantic relationships were forming kind of like in a summer camp kind of way. You know, you're away from the, you're away from home and everyone just like pairs up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. But I remember looking at them and being like, oh, they're totally going to get together on this trip. And I went and told the girl that I was rooming with and she was like, no, like no one's even trying to do that. And I was like, trust me. And then three weeks later it came out that they had been sleeping together <laughs> and he was like, taking her on dates. And it was this big secret, but then it it like kind of revealed itself in a way that always happens when you're living in a dorm with a bunch of college students. And I was like, I knew it. (laughs) I knew it. Yes. Why doesn't someone give me a reward or something? I totally called this. So that was one of the times I was like, okay, so I I can do this in my personal life. Again, Not to benefit me in any way, but if we're all out at a bad witch meetup one day and there's a cute person across the room and someone locks eyes with them, I'm gonna be like, yeah, girl, that's you. You better get that because this is meant to happen. (laughs) Again, maybe not meant to happen forever, but it's meant to happen. Okay, so back to the celebrities. There's been three instances where I knew three celebrity couples were going to happen. One, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, of course. Um, When they were cast in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I was like, oh, they're going to get married. Like, I just knew. I was like, they are meant to be together. It's something where you can, you know what it is? I can see chemistry. So I have the gift of chemical sight. No, that's, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But along with the sparks flying and with the, the kind of threads, like the soulmate thread I'll see running between people, I... I can see chemistry. That's what it is. I, I guess that's the best. I don't know. I'm obviously trying to put it all together right now, as I always do. But there is something about the vibe between them, the atmosphere. I just remember seeing um, like, pictures of them shooting. And it wasn't just like, these are two very, very talented actors. And so they're playing a married couple very well. <gasps> Wait, you know what it is? Okay, I just remembered. I can pinpoint it. It was, they did a shoot. Brad Pitt was still married to Angelina Jolie. <laughs> I don't know it's like turning this off because you're like, why are you talking about incredibly old gossip stories? Stick with me. There was a photo shoot for W Magazine that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie did together. And it's styled in like this retro 1960s editorial. And they have these four blonde little boys. I think they're all boys in the shoot. And the theme was kind of like married couple, But there was some intrigue or like underlying tension below the surface, which, (laughs) but I remember seeing that shoot in W Magazine because, you know, I'm a fashion girl. So I had like W, V, purple, all of them. I was so obsessed with them when I was that age. And I was like, oh, this is going to happen. Like, I don't know if they're actually manifesting in this moment by participating in this, but this is going to be a reality. There was just something even on the page that I could see that they were going to be together and it was something that was meant to be. Uh, and then, yeah, not too, too much long later, he went on in senior year of high school. I remember, cause this is when I really discovered Brad Pitt. And I was like, I mean, if you're going to be single anyway, I did just turn 18. So like, let me know, <laughs> but, you know, like I think it was December of that year. He and Jennifer Aniston broke up and then lo and behold, he and Angelina were together and then were together for 10 years plus and had all these kids and what a life. Right. But I remember in that W shoot, I was like, yeah this going to happen. Okay, so the second instance was uh <laughs> this is a deep cut. In the early mid mid 2000s, Jennifer Lopez opened a restaurant called Madre in Los Angeles. RIP, it's no longer with us. All celebrity restaurants close. And I am talking about Britney Spears' Nyla in New York and also Jessica Biel's Oh Fudge. Okay. So <laughs> there was a picture at, this is when she was married to Chris Judd. That backup dancer dancer that she married for like eight months or after she only knew him, eight months or whatever. And there is a picture at Madre of Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck uh, taking a picture together. I, she her, her hair is like in a bouffant with curls down the side and she was wearing a pink dress. And I remember looking at that Okay, so apparently I can also tell it from pictures and media, obviously, because I don't see these celebrities in person. Um. So yeah, if you also have this gift of chemical romantic sight, let me know if you can do it in both capacities because I'm realizing this again as I'm talking it out. Um, but in the picture together, I was like, oh, they're going to be together soon. And lo and behold, <laughs> she, maybe I should like try to call Chris Judd or Jennifer Aniston. They were together and engaged in, you know, Benifer. If you are as old as me or older, you remember they were the biggest couple in the world. Yeah, that's a thing too. Not only can I see it for celebrities, but I can see like literally the biggest superstar couples like... There was no such thing as putting two people's names together before Benefer. And the I'm still Jenny from the blog video where he's like rubbing her ass on a yacht. And she had like a 10-carat diamond, uh, canary diamond engagement ring or pink diamond or whatever it was. So that was instance number two for the celebrities. And number three is everyone's favorite family, <laughs> Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Um, I can't remember exactly where I saw the photo of them, like what event it was from, but it was Kim Kardashian like two or th- no, like 10 or 11 faces and bodies ago when she was still very long curl, like barrel curl, jet black hair, bandage dress Kim Kardashian. <laughs> uh, before she was Givenchy and sainte Kim Kardashian. But there's a picture and they're at some like event. It's probably in People magazine. And they're just looking at each other, but there's the spark is there. I can see the spark like actually looking at the picture. I'm actually gonna try to find at least the picture of Jennifer Lopez and the editorial because I know I'll be able to find those and post them in the group to show y'all what I'm talking about. Um, but with the picture with Kim and Kanye, it was the same thing. It was there's just this chemistry, this tangible energy that I can see radiating between them and radiating off of the image. And lo and behold, she, I think, was actually sleeping with Kanye while she was married to Chris Humphrey. I mean, they were only married for like 15 hours or whatever. So I think they actually... Kim and Kanye were already together, and that's what I was reading. So I knew that they were going to become a thing. And they may have already been a thing, but they hadn't publicly been a thing. So I'm still counting it. But with the... um. And you know, same thing probably with Angelina and Brad, because I think they did start seeing each other during Mister and Mrs. Smith. Like you know, there was like a little kind of a crazy timeline with that. Uh, that Jennifer Anderson went in W magazine as well. Was it W or was it Vogue? Vanity Fair? I don't know. And she called it uncool, and that became like the headline for the next ten years. We all had to see was how uncool it was that poor Jen, you know, got cheated on or whatever the timeline may be. Whoever truly knows. Um, but I know with the Jennifer Aniston, oh, gosh, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck thing, he like started pursuing her from that interaction, the one that I saw so vividly that they were going to be together, but they were not together. So it was unbeknownst to the public and also unbeknownst to them. But yeah, those are the three celebrity, one real life instance of me having this gift that again, does no good for me. <laughs> You know, maybe when I finally meet Bill Skarsgard, we will have that moment and I will see the literal sparks fly between us and I'll be like, I knew it. I always knew that this would be the one, even though you won't stop making scary movies and you're ruining my life. <laughs> uh yeah, but if you also have this, let me know. I've been I've been wanting to bring it up and I honestly can't remember if I maybe said it in one of the early, early episodes. But I would love to talk to other witches that have this ability because I don't know what it's called. Again, I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know if I can possibly use it for some kind of greater good, or it's just that I'm very sensitive to this one thing. And so I, that's where it is. I have it. I don't know. So if you have it too, send me an email, gmail.com or ping me in the Facebook group or DM me or Twitter me or Instagram me, wherever. And let's talk about it. Uh, Some of you might have a way more evolved sense of this and I would love to hear about it. Isn't that, where like the idea of the matchmaker not like a matchmaker like a like a Patty Stanger on um what was that show called date oh my god what was that show called the one on bravo where it was always like a gross millionaire guy and like a bunch of girls that just wanted to date a millionaire, but the millionaires were always like really awful. <laughs> what was that show called? I know you're yelling at it, yelling it at me right now. Oh, sorry. I can't remember. But not like kind of that modern idea of a matchmaker where it, it or the, the millionaire matchmaker. Yes. <laughs> but not that even that concept of like the millionaire matchmaker, which I see a lot now. It's like, oh, there's always these very rich men who want these women and they have very particular taste about the women they want. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily a love match, but when we talk about the matchmaker of lore, you know, or traditionally and culturally, I do maybe consider that a type of witch, right? Someone that can't just make matches within the community that are like profitable to each family. Or, I mean, I I think of a matchmaker as, as someone who can make a legitimate love match. Like they can see, those same sparks and threads and that like soulmate connection that I keep referencing. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the times I've heard of, I've heard about not modern matchmaking and even, yeah, modern matchmaking, I guess, to an extent because people still exist and we're like quote unquote, traditional realities than we do in like a very modern Westernized America. Right. But anytime I've heard about matchmakers of, you know, a time gone by, let's <laughs> make it sound like, It was, you know, so, so, so long ago. There does seem to be a sense of magic with what they were able to do and how they were able to put people together and find, you know, love for people. So, yeah, just talking out loud, I kind of wonder if that is a sort of witchcraft. Does anyone have a matchmaker in their family? Like, I don't... (laughs) I'm saying matchmaker and the image in my mind that I keep getting is (laughs) Dragonona, which has nothing to do with love except for my and everyone's love of pasta. But kind of that figure, I don't know. I think of like an older woman, you know, the trope of like the crone and the woman who is in the village, but a little separated from society and everyone assumes she's a witch, whether she is or not, whether she identifies as one or not. And they go to her for the potions and motions and lotions that they need. She has, you know, the cats and she has the brooms outside of her home. Ooh, can't wait to talk about brooms in just a minute too. Um, <laughs> we are going to get to our tools. Don't worry. Um, so I kind of see that figure that like Strug and Nona kind of crone figure as being the matchmaker in the community. But yeah, if you have like a history of matchmakers in your family, or if you have any good stories about matchmakers, like culturally, I would love to hear about those. Cause I think they may be witches. Are you a matchmaker? If you are also, uh, the Podcast at gmail.com. Let me know. Let's talk about it. Okay. So part two, <laughs> we are, oh, it's going to be such a long episode. What else is new? So I wanted to talk about, uh, with Brian and Angelina, the temporary thing. So like I said, when I saw that W shoot, I was like, they're, they're meant to be together. This is something that is absolutely going to happen. I just felt it in my spirit, my witch spirit. And then the movie comes out and then he, or whatever order it was in, he and Jennifer Aniston break up. He and Angelina are together. Then they're pregnant with their first child. And I remember even like watching the Mr. and Mrs. Smith red carpet because this is back when movie premiere red carpets would be like on E. <laughs> Why? And they would be like heavily covered in the media before really we had this huge admin of social media, right? Where celebrities could just show us. Everything they wanted us to see. Anyway, we would have to look at People. dot com or Style. dot com. I'm. Why am I talking to y'all like I'm 80? Like <laughs> y'all are 10. Obviously, you have been around. I don't know why I always do this. I don't know what's going on with me. But um, I remember even on the red carpet she was wearing like this black amazing kind of leathery dress and he was dressed in black too. And they were posing together and I was just like this, these people are meant to be together. It's insane. But it wasn't just that I was seeing their sparks and their threads kind of forming. You know, when I say the thread, the thing too, it's like, I don't see threads that already exist between them. It's like if Spider-Man shoots out his webbing and it connects to the next person, does that sound gross? (laughs) Like it sounds a little gross. Or if, um, like an octopus with its tentacles it's like reaching out and stretching to the next person. I see them forming. I don't see them already existing like it's because they're just kind of coming together. So I see the, the bond start to form. Does that make does that makes sense. Also they're different colors, which I don't know what each color represents, but that is a conversation obviously for another day. Um, but in at the premiere, They were together. And aside from just being able to see what I can see as a witch, it was that, I feel like it was a moment where fate presented something to us all publicly and things were falling into the correct place and we all kind of got to witness it. Like, it just makes so much sense. You have the biggest male movie star in the world, the biggest female movie star in the world at that time, and the woman who's considered the most beautiful woman in Hollywood, if not the world, and the man who's considered the most handsome man in Hollywood, if not the world at that time, of course, these two belong together. Of course, this is fated. We are seeing fate in action. This is how things are supposed to line up. This is how things make sense in our brain. So seeing them together, I was like, they're going to be together forever because this is perfect. I, It was perfect. It just made so much sense. And even though I loved Brad Pitt tremendously at that time, I was brave enough to let him be with Angelina. <laughs> Because I just knew that the most beautiful and most handsome and most superstar couple were meant to be together. And so I had to let go of my own personal feelings in the situation because you can't tamper with fate, you know? And so then they have these kids and then they are just traveling all over the world all the time and they're major humanitarians and they're doing so much good. And it's the only, to me, real throwback to like a mega star, couple, like the way that you would set them they were set up in the studio system of old Holly Old Hollywood. This was like megastars. This is what Megastars did. This is the lifestyle that we are tuning in for. These are celebrities, you know? And so I was like, of course, this is gonna last forever. And then it didn't. And then there was the incident on the airplane and they got divorced. And that, I think more than anything that I've witnessed reinforced to me that just because something is meant to be doesn't mean it's meant to be forever. I think 100% that Brad and Angelina were meant to come together for this time. I think they were meant to be as high profile as they were. I think they were meant to have the kids that they had and to do the initiatives that they started together and to, um, you know, work on the projects they worked together. I think all of these things, even though at the end it appears to have been, you know, contentious and sour. I think all the things they accomplished in the 10, 12 years they were together were all things that were absolutely meant to happen, all have reverber- reverberations that had a positive impact. And so it just really made me think and confirm things for me. That's like, it's okay that things have to end. It's okay that things are temporary. I mean, the nature of life itself is temporary. So It is a little unnatural that we try to establish all of these like permanent relationships and people and structures in this temporary existence. You know, it's life is temporary. We're not all going to be here forever. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we were? Wouldn't it be cool if they, I mean, I don't know. Do y'all want to be around forever? That sounds so stressful. (laughs) sounds really stressful and it sounds exhausting. I'm 32 and I have to nap all the time. Um, so I couldn't imagine, you know, they find the fountain. Of, well, if it's the fountain of youth, then I can go back to 20. I'm not so tired. But if they figure out the key to immortality at 86, I'd be like, no, 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 just let me go. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> but you know, yeah, life is temporary and it doesn't mean don't do everything that you can in that time space and experience all that you can. But it does mean that it's okay to let things go because everything at the end of the day at the very end is going to be temporary no matter what. And I think a lot of people have a hard time letting go of things because it it was meant to be. It it was meant to be. It It is something that happened because it's meant to be, but it's not forever. Like even with my last relationship, even though, I mean, he ghosted me, so that was that. <laughs> you know? It's no big deal, no problem. But we were having issues <clears throat> for probably three months before that happened. And I was so focused on, I know this is my soulmate. I know that we're supposed to be together. The cards have told me we're supposed to be together. My, you know, mentors have told my, like which mentors have told me. And it was very hard for me to say, okay, but realistically, are you happy? Is this what you want? Is this what you want to do every day for the re- rest of your life? That could be what? 60 more years. How old am I? Yeah. 60, 70 more years. And if they really get that immortality thing going forever, like, no, And, but I was so hung up on the meant to be part that I couldn't realize that meant to be can still run its course. And I think it absolutely happened for a reason. I don't look back at that relationship and think, oh, what a monumental waste of time. I think, you know, I learned these lessons and I got to have these experiences and it taught me so much about the next person that I'm meant to be with that it wasn't a waste. It was something that was meant to be because I was meant to get things out of it. And I absolutely did. And then I let it go. I think we just talk so much about like being open to receiving and being open to what's coming to you and what's meant to be will be, which all of those things, absolutely, they're so essential, especially as witches and spiritual beings. We have to be so open about receiving things that come to us because we receive more than the average person. Um, but I think we need to put that same kind of emphasis on releasing things and letting things go and not getting hung up on. Well, this thing is here and I'm going to wrap my arms around it. I'm going to hold it to me forever. (laughs) Like, no, we have to release things. Like, just as we understand life to be temporary, we understand that everything is a cycle. And so we're always releasing and we're always receiving. But sometimes we have too much emphasis, again, on the receiving. And especially, you know, I've been thinking about a lot, like, looking at Brad and Angelina and looking at romantic relationships in particular, I feel like a lot of people are meant to be together for a time period to have their children, which I know sounds strange coming from me, the most child-free person on the planet earth and all other planets, the Milky way itself. But I think a lot of relationships aren't going to last a lifetime and go the distance. But that one, the one thing that isn't, you know, necessarily in situations that can be, but is necessarily going to be temporary is going to be your relationship with your child. Um, or your relationship with your parent, that is a constant, you know, not for everyone. I mean, people definitely, you know, aren't in communication with their family, for whatever the reason may be. And that's, you know, not wrong. It's just whatever their situation is, but a man or a woman that I may choose to marry can come and go out of my life. But my child is my child, even if we don't have a real, I mean, I don't have a child, but my hypothetical child would be my child, whether we have a relationship or not. So that is like the one permanent bond. And sometimes I think that that's what's meant to happen. Like the keyword is meant (laughs) not forever, but the keyword is meant this was meant and it is. And so it is. And then, you know, we move on to something else. So I'm saying all this to say, and especially going back to romantic relationships, using me as an example as again, um, I think that we get so hung up on, we have to make this work because this is our quote unquote soulmate or because You know, we just knew when we locked eyes across the crowded room that we were meant to be together and people stay in miserable situations because they think they have to and they think that no one else is meant for them. Someone else is meant for you. We have so many different things and so many people in so many situations meant for us. Why would the universe and all of its limitlessness send us just one thing? Like it's not, the universe is cool and it loves us and it wants to give us so much and exp- let us have, let us have us, <laughs> have us experience so much. And it's just really important to remember if you were holding on to this thing because you were so, because it was meant for you at some time period, but it doesn't suit you now, the thing that is meant for you in this new period, this growth that you're in, it cannot come in if something is taking its place. You know, it's like if you put uh, when you're a kid and you're playing that game where you put the round circle in the round hole, but then you put, let's say you take that one out, you put the round peg in the square hole because it's not meant, to, it was meant for you at the time, but it's not meant for you now. And it's not going, it's not going, it's not going. And you have the square piece in your other hand. You cannot put the square piece in the square hole until you take that circle block out. Does everybody else play that game? <laughs> I'm not just making that up. I hope so because that's the only analogy I have. Okay. So, yeah, I just want to talk about those two things briefly. <laughs> briefly, 40 minutes in, and we will do our Patreon shout-outs, and then we will get back into our witchy tools for the week. All right, my Patreon baddies, I love y'all so much, as you know. And so I want to say a very special shout-out to Kristen, Shannon, Maya, Aurora, Celine, Bryn. Lindsay, Becca, Alicia, Nalling, Heidi, Mackenzie, Lena, Sasha, Brett, Elizabeth. I always run out of breath at Brett. <laughs> Elizabeth, Adele, Erin, Carla, Sola, and Amanda. Thank you, as always, from the bottom of my witchy heart. It means so much to me that um, y'all pledge to Patreon. That really is so sweet and considerate and supportive. And of course, to all of you that listen, you're uh, you just I can't believe you. You download and you tell people about it. And you listen, and you send emails, and I could not ask for a better coven. You are all the light of my life and the one beneath my wings, as I like to tell you every week. I love you all so much. Also, real quick, because I forgot to mention it um, for like two months now, <laughs> but there is a merch store. It is teespring.com slash stores slash bad dash. Nope, I messed it up. It is teespring.com slash stores slash bad dash witch dash two. That's probably not it either. Anyway, I have it linked below in the episode notes. Um, And there's just like mugs and tote bags and t-shirts and hoodies and stuff if you want to rep your bad witch cousin out and about. All right, so let's get back into our tools. And I think let's start with the broom, right? Because last week we started with the cauldron because I was like, this is a thing when I think about witches that that's what jumps out to me. That's the symbolism that is always associated with the witch. And I think broom can give the cauldron a pretty good run for its money. I mean, those two are definitely the ones that I think we all think of the most culturally and as witches and maybe I like the pointy hat, but you know, the, <laughs> the pointy hat doesn't have quite the significance as a witch tool. Um, it's more just a really awesome sartorial choice if you ask me. So yeah, let's start with our broom because it has a lot of significance for us witches. Not just in the symbolism and like the mythology around witches as us as flying, uh, flying the broom across like the moonlit sky in the full moon or flying the hedge, right? But I mean, it's liter- literally a tangible tool that we use in everyday witchcraft. <laughs> so I think it's a really good starting point. But before we get into the practical uses of the broom in modern witchcraft, I think we need to talk about the historical, folkloric mythology around the broom and its connection to witches and how these two things have become synonymous with each other. I do want to say this (laughs) because witches are at once actual people. We're actually witches. I'm a person with a real life and I do things that have nothing to do with witchcraft. But at the end of the day, no matter what I do, I'm a witch. It's who I am. It's my identity. We have talked about this. But we are also going to be talking about And also anytime we're talking about folklore, like traditional stories and things like that, we're talking about the idea of the witch as a magical, mystical creature that is like a creation. Like in the way that we have Sasquatch or we have the Loch Ness Monster, like something that people do not believe to be a real thing. And also witches that are real people. Does that make sense? so basically like sometimes we'll if you know the more we kind of talk about the witchery history stuff and you know when we do that full episode eventually it's we're not always getting stories about real people and real things that have happened sometimes we're getting stories that were made up to discredit witches stories that are like ghost stories you know to scare little kids about the witch the old crone that's going to um get try to give you candy and then eat you is that Hansel and Gretel was it a witch at Hansel and Gretel I think it was Um, so when I'm talking about the broom right now, basically I'm going to be talking about real ways that real witches have used the broom and made it a part of our culture as witches. But I'm also going to talk about the story, these like fantastical stories that people invented to tell about witches in a way to other us, to make us seem scary, to make us seem evil. All of those wonderful things that really stem from the patriarchy. Am I right? (laughs) So let's um I guess let's talk about that first so you know the idea of someone being able to fly is an idea in the folklore of witchcraft that they were it was a magic that was given from like demons or the devil or it was like supported by demons or the devil and that these women although of course we have male witches and and witches identify uh, with other genders and non-binary witches and everything. But this strict idea that the female witches would take the broom, which is really this like domestic symbol and use it to engage in witchcraft was like a huge no-no because you're just like s- subverting the idea of your own domesticity. So yeah, the have people actually flown across the moon at midnight in a full moon and you see the silhouette? I mean, probably not. If they have, they're a better witch than I am because I certainly can't do it. But just the thing of like seeing witches fly, it was a way to associate women, especially those other women that we talked about that are kind of different from society and, and put away because they're old or they're widows or they're healers or they're loose or whatever. Um, it was a way to connect them with evil. It was a way to make them other. It, it was, you know, normal, uh, quote unquote, wives and mothers weren't flying around at night, but these women were in the dark and they were with demons and they were being sexual. And of course, you know, they would fly back and forth and they were hunting for children and they were hunting for virgins to kill and hunting for young men to seduce. It's just like all this... Listen, if I can fly on a broom, the last thing I'm going to do-, do is go look for a man. Trust me, I'm going to go do something good with my life. But so we have this folkloric that's what I mean when I say in the way we have Sasquatch, and the way we have, uh, uh, I was going to say the Easter Bunny. <laughs> what? That's that's like the, the mythological idea that is a lot of hearsay. So we actually have people that, because, okay, so because of this hearsay, because of these stereotypes about witches, we have people like during witch trials and during witch persecutions that have admitted to things like this because this is what people were running with. Like, oh, here comes a room. You know how gossip, like it works the same way now. Someone says, oh, well, I saw so-and-so um, in the moonlight, uh, riding a broom in the air and hunting people. And because it's like the mythology that had come up around that was that witches do, you know, it's it's so quick to go from hearsay to fact. <laughs> That's something that happens all the time in our modern society as well. You know what I actually just thought of speaking of Hocus Pocus earlier in the episode um, the Sanderson sisters, when they go after, um, Danny and Max and Allison and Billy, is that his name? And they go and grab their brooms to chase after them. And Kathy and Jimmy is on a vacuum cleaner, which is art. Okay. That is high comedy. It's art. But yeah, that is how prolific this association is that it was in movies as recently as the nineties, you know, like. No, in the craft, they're not on brooms. They do fly and they levitate, but that that's different. But yeah, it's in Hocus Pocus. But anyway, so even these influences that we see in like our modern media are from rumors and gossip that pe- townspeople were doing 600 years ago. You know, that's how insane this is. I mean, and now we just are like, well, it's in movies, you know, and does that hurt modern witches yes or no because we're still kind of dealing with these same stereotypes we talk about all the time but I mean back in the day it would get you killed <laughs> and the fact that witches or not even witches but just accused persons who were assumed or presumed to be witches because of the lifestyle they led or because they were different um you know were killed because of folklore because of gossip and hearsay that people would then be tortured into admitting. So you're admitting that you did something, and then p- being put to death for it, or at least being tortured and punished in some other way, based on stuff that is totally made up. Start you know, it's just it blows my mind. So anyway, I'm saying all that to say. Um, so we've talked about like the mythology of it, right? So this is how this is how and why witches are associated with the broom thing in. The, in actuality like because of real things that took place. So, in 1453, the first known person to confit to <laughs> to confess to confess to being a witch flying on a broomstick is not a woman, which is very interesting because it really was one of those things that was heavily associated <clears throat> with women. It was a suspected male witch named Guillaume Edeline of Saint-Germain-en-Laye near Paris. And he was tortured into this confession which let's talk about that for a second if you want someone to confess of the thing you are accusing them of not the thing they are guilty of or not the thing that they are or not maintaining their own innocence if you want someone to confess to the thing that you want them to confess to isn't torture the way to go like I, you can only take so much and of course you're going to confess to flying on a broom if that's the thing that's going to make them stop crushing you to death or pulling out, you know, your fingernails, or hitting you with one of those, uh, flagellate you, is that what the word is? When they hit you with, uh, like a crop, like to flog someone, you know, all these various ways that you can only take so much, and of course, of course eventually you're going to be like, yes, I did it, just please stop, You just, like just stop, I will say whatever you want me to say. You know, one of my um, favorite, and I don't mean favorite like I love it so much, but just Favorite in the way that it's a factoid that I like to throw out when talking about this stuff is, you know, one of the ways they used to determine if someone was a witch would be that they would put them, and I'm sure you've seen it in textbooks, uh, you know, when you learned about the Salem witch trials or the uh, European witch trials, they would strap the witch to, or the presumed witch to um, like a wooden chair and there would be a, uh, not a bucket of water, that's not big enough for a person, a barrel of water or like a, a shallow pool that was erected. And she would be sitting at the top and they would dunk her in. And the belief was if she um, drowned, then she wasn't a witch. And if she didn't drown, then she was a witch. And then they would kill her. So the odds aren't great on that. Like, what? what? So you're just either going to drown a quote unquote innocent person or the person survives and then you're going to kill them for being a witch. Just... The things that were taking place, again, off of the back of hearsay and gossip and rumors that were in no way factual but were costing human lives, it is cuckoo bananas. Okay, moving on. So let's take a trip over to visit our good old pagan ancestors. This is another reason that brooms are associated with witches. So, there was a common pagan fertility ritual where poles, pitchforks, and brooms—so again, anything phallic—say it with me—were um, thrown through a field, and uh, with people jumping as high as they could to entice the crops to grow to that height. So it was a harvest um, ritual, and because the things were being thrown across the field, they would—they would look like they were, you know, flying across the sky by themselves. These inanimate objects were given life. Um, probably by, again, a demon or a devil or something uh, malevolent. And because the people are jumping as high as they can and the brooms and the, the, oh, what else did I say? The pitchforks were flying about. It looks like people were just flying and whizzing through the air. And so the performance of this ritual is where, again, this thing is coming from that witches can fly on brooms. They can bewitch them. And all of a sudden they become this thing for transport. And then, of course, we have good old... Henbane. If you don't know about henbane, (laughs) I can't remember if I talked about it in the uh, witches and herb episode. But henbane and witches and Witchcraft have a very long association with each other. It is toxic. It is poisonous. Don't put it in your mouth. Maybe don't even touch it. It will really do some damage. But the thing about henbane is, it is associated with witchcraft because it's believed to be a flying ointment and what that means is that witches made an ointment um that had henbane and like other psychotropic herbs so they would rub it on the broom like the end of the broom which is uh, more loaded industry not industry imagery and um it would allow them to fly now here's the thing was henbane and the other psychotropic I can't say that word herbs that they combined together and rubbed on their broom. Did it actually give them the power to fly again? Probably not. Unless there's a spell out there I don't know about, and we should find it if we can. Um, but because it made you hallucinate, (laughs) it, it tripped you out, man. It would give the experience of, it would give like the, the imaginative experience of having flown or of flying. So you take the hearsay, you take the pagan rituals, you take people admitting to it, and you take the handbane and you mix it all together, bing, bam, boom, witches and brooms. Okay, so now I'm done with my uh, broom TED Talk. We can talk about why it's an important witch tool to have for your very modern witchcraft. Um, again, so it is represented, It the broom represents masculinity and femininity at the same time. So like the handle is the masculine, phallic, 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 and um, and the bristles Br- bristles, I think they're bristles, isn't it? What... I'm gonna call it that because I can't think of another word for it. Um, that represents the feminine, so it is this tool that lets you harness the energy of both, which is great because we want to infuse our witchcraft with that. You know, we don't always want to solely rely on the feminine or solely rely on the masculine. It's great to have a meeting of those energies. The broom is associated with the element of water, which makes perfect sense because it's all about cleansing. You know, we talk about doing the floor washes in a few episodes now, but I'll go back to the It's Ritual Babe episode where we talk about a lot of <laughs> floor washes, but you know, kind of how you make the wash and use the mop to cleanse your space and to do, to apply uh, a spell. The broom is magical in that kind of same way that you're cleansing out, that you're resetting the space. You're getting ready to do your magic. And so you want a clean, fresh space to do it within. Just like we take our smudge bundle and we smudge the air, we sweep the floor. <laughs> so you will take your broom and you will go in a clockwise. I always confuse clockwise and counterclockwise. Can I tell you? I know which way a clock goes. Like I'm, I'm not that confused, but if I have to say it out loud, I always have to do a beat and be like, clock is it Okay, so you go clockwise and then you're good to go. Do your spell, do your ritual, and then at the end, you want to make sure that you sweep everything together and out to get rid of any kind of lingering things that you don't want around any negativities, any darkness, anything like that. This is also a good time to remind everyone when you smudge, Make sure that you have your windows open, make sure you have your doors open, anything to release all that negativity that you're bringing down and pushing out. If I saw a meme the other day that said, uh, some of y'all are out here smudging with your windows closed and how demons just whirl around your room. like It's true, you have to open your windows. So when you are sweeping, you have to sweep out at the end. When you are smudging, you have to let that smoke billow out or it will remain. And the things that you were trying to get rid of will remain and not only will they remain, but they'll kind of be activated, right? So good reminder. Also, um, like with our cauldron, you want to make sure that you are not just using like your good old everyday broom (laughs) as your magical broom. Your broom does need to be consecrated and it does need to be used for witchcraft and witchcraft alone. So say you're in a pinch and um, you're gonna meet your boyfriend's family for the first time. They're coming over and you need to sweep. Don't use your witch broom. You gotta go to, uh, I don't know, wherever they sell brooms, the store. (laughs) obviously you got to get a regular broom for that and clean up. We are spiritually cleaning with our broom, also known as a Bessom or a besom. Have I said that? B-E-S-O-M. Um, we are spiritually cleansing, cleaning with that. You got to clean your house. You got to get a regular broom. That's just the way it goes. And also if you um, don't want to just use your broom ceremonially, but you want to use it as, um, I want to say decoration, but it's more than that. I mean, I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of witches will have a broom over a doorway entering into the home or entering into the room where their altar is or just, you know, around the house. And this is really interesting because I see a lot of people put up these kind of brooms around Halloween time that don't practice witchcraft or consider themselves witches at all. It's just kind of a festive decoration, but unbeknownst to them, it is actually protecting their house and it's protecting them from any kind of um, negativity or any kind of evil that seeks to come in. Now that I think about it, my mom has a little broom that we would put out every year for Halloween. Where is that thing? I, ooh, okay. Next time I'm home, I have to find it. But yeah, we had a little witch broom and I remember being very enthralled with it as a witch kid, of course I was. But there was a wreath that we had that had um, berries and apples and pumpkins, plastic, obviously, uh, strewn into it. And I think it may have even had a little witch on it. And then we had a little witch's broom that I remember being obsessed with like it was as a kid as like was a kid. As a kid. <laughs> In fact, I think I used to like always use it to sweep. Oh my gosh, where is that thing? Okay, this is my new mission uh, is finding that. But yeah, I think maybe my family just thought I was reenacting Cinderella. But no, I was being a witch. <laughs> I was being a witch kid for sure another thing I wanted to highlight talking about brooms and I didn't actually know there was a witch connection to this until I was kind of digging around for this episode is uh, jumping the broom. You know, I am a black woman. I am from the very deep South uh, where of course we have the legacy of enslaved people. And for us, um, enslaved people were not allowed to legally marry. They had no legal rights. They were essentially not essentially, I mean, they were treated as property, even though they were very much human beings. But, uh, literally taking a broom and jumping over it was, uh, symbolically what would marry to enslaved people. And to this day in the black community, and I, I don't know if other cultures really do this. I remember I had a boyfriend in college that was white and I asked him if he ever had heard of jumping the broom and he was like, I have no idea what that is. Um, it's also a like decent, okay. Movie starring Paula Pat, Pat Paula Patton. I watched it the other night. It was Julie Bowen is like the only white character in it, and she had some pretty wild lines. I don't know if it would fly in 2019. Um, You know, a lot of hair touching and a couple lines about fried chicken. It just wasn't the best look. But anyway, if you are interested in kind of the modern day use of Jumping the Broom, I mean, that movie does highlight it. It's not a documentary. It's not a historical reference but if you want to watch something kind of fun. Anyway, <laughs> I just watched it recently and I never watched movies, so that's why it's in my head when well, no, on which movies. But yeah, so it's something that is still very much in the African-American community. When you go to a wedding, even though we have like this formal ceremony now, or you might have a religious ceremony, at the end, you'll jump the broom. I mean, not everyone does it, obviously. But, um, and in some families, they have a broom that is passed on from generation to generation and wedding to wedding. So I wanted to bring it up because it has a cultural significance to me. But in getting ready for this week's episode, I have came across that it's totally used in pagan ceremonies. And so pagan identifying witches jumped the broom as well. So for us now, even though it has this, um, this not legacy, but traditionally it was to symbolize that these two people were wed, right? Because they didn't have the legal right to do it. It's now people jump over it for prosperity, for fertility, for, um, especially because it, again, represents the masculine and the feminine. So those two coming together, you have fertility. Um, and just blessings and, and abundance for the wedding. And similarly, when I was you know reading about it in pagan ceremonies and in hand fasting ceremonies, it serves the same purpose. So I had no idea about that. I learned about that. And um, you know I'm not going to get married. I mean... I don't want to get married, but then I'm also like, what's meant for you is meant for you. So you should never say never. You never know what's meant to be will be. So, I mean, I never considered jumping over the broom because it's not something my family really does, but knowing that it's something I'm overall culturally connected to, and it's something that my identity is connected with, you know, being a witch, I maybe would consider it now. I I don't know. I never really thought about it before because I'm not one to dream up my wedding, to be honest. But I don't know, maybe me and Bill could jump the broom. I mean, I'm only getting married if Bill Skarsgård shows up. Oh, that's not true, actually. I have a really big crush on this new person. I mean, he's not new, but my crush on him is new. His name is James, James Acaster. He's a comedian out of the UK. Um, So he's giving Bill a run for his money right now. But unless it's Bill Skarsgård and James Acaster, I probably won't be jumping any brooms in this lifetime. But that was still really cool for me to find out. I didn't realize that. It, I've always just identified it with the African-American community. So that was really cool. And if it's something that you culturally um, have experienced or it's something you've done at your wedding uh, and you aren't a part of the African-American community and you didn't do it for pagan or witchcraft reasons, I would love to know about that. So please let me know. Um, so so you want to make your own broom. <laughs> here um, are the tra- Here is the traditional recipe to make one. A four-foot length of ash or oak for the handle, the male part. Thin branches of birch, mugwort, or thyme for the bristle part. Oh, they are called bristles. I knew it. Lengths of willow or heavy cord to bind everything together. So those are the three parts. And that's why, again, we say the masculine is the phallic handle of it. And then the three parts represent, like, the three phases of the goddess. So the crone, the mother. The, nope. <laughs> Crone versus, I can't wait to be a crone. The maiden, the mother, and the crone. Um, you know, it's you know we talk about like these magical objects and the broom itself is gonna carry those that natural magic as a tool because you are bringing in things like time, you are bringing in things like mugwort, you are bringing in things like oak that carry all their natural powers. So you put them all together. You know, it's like our powers combined makes Captain Planet. So all those powers combined make this magical tool, which is your broom that will cleanse for you and protect you. Okay, so we've talked about brooms for thirty minutes. Let's talk about another tool, <laughs> and that's going to be your divination pool, pools, <laughs> your divination tools. You got your tarot decks, your oracle card decks, your scrying mirror, your scrying bowl, your um, pendulums, your crystal balls. I think I told you all about my incident with the crystal ball before, where um. I looked into it and I saw too much. I was like, oh, I'm not at this level yet. I got to revisit this. I think now, because that was back in December, I think I'm ready now to kind of revisit it. But it is the most intense visions you could ever think you've had uh, times 10. I mean, I just saw everything all at once and it was really overwhelming. Also, side note about Crystal Balls if I haven't said it before, which I may have. Um, Make sure that you're always covering them when they're not in use, like you have a a sacred cloth, like your altar cloth that you could put over it, because you don't want anything slipping out of there or anything negative or um, with malicious intent trying to surround it or influence the visions that you're having. Just a little note from me to you. It's a very powerful tool for divination. Um, So yeah, anything that's going to show us the future, anything that's going to give us information these are things that are really important to a witch's practice. I mean, a lot of us really build our practice around being able to read tarot or being able to read Oracle. And I think, you know, uh, maybe, maybe what and what with spell work, but I think that card reading is a thing that the thing that people outside of the witch world seek us out uh, for the most. So it's something that is incredibly important that, Every witch have, even if you aren't strictly a card reader, like I I am a card reader. That is one of my gifts. But even if I wasn't, I would still have a deck on hand that I think it's important to learn about and that I could use it in my own magical practice. If I have my goddess deck, for example, and I want to work with Lakshmi or I want to work with Yamaya or I want to work with um, Aphrodite, then I can at least pull that card out, meditate on the message meditate on her power and on, um, all of the things that she represents. And I can incorporate, incorporate that in my witchcraft. Um, that's why I'm personally trying to learn a tarot deck right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is so much information and none of it is sticking in my head, but that's okay. I'm a bad witch. I'm gonna have to give myself some time. <laughs> um, but yeah, even if you're not going outside of yourself and doing readings, it's still important to have those divination tools because it will lighten the way and highlight your own magic. It will give you messages that you can work with. It will show you outcomes that you need to be aware of when you're doing certain spells and certain rituals. So yeah, the divination thing is huge for witches because it's how we communicate to a world that we can't necessarily see. I mean, some of us can see it, but a world that we can't see, but we still need to receive information from. And it helps us to be like, pillars of service to the community around us, whether I'm reading for another witch, or I'm reading for someone that doesn't, you know, dabble in witchcraft at all. It's just that with witchcraft, communication is so important, and the cards are absolutely a means for communication, whether we are trying to receive messages from the goddesses, or for our guides, or, you know, whomever, the angels, or we are trying to communicate something to them. And so the cards are really important, The crystal ball is important because there's so many messages and so much, too many for me, so much information laid in there. Um, The scrying is important and the pendulum is important because it's going to give you a lot of answers. You know, a lot of of this witchcraft stuff, sometimes it feels like we're just shooting into the dark and hoping for the best outcome, but the more communication that we can get going, the better outcome that we're going to get, or at least we'll be really aware of the outcome that's coming for us, (laughs) coming for us. I mean, not in a bad way. Okay, so next up is rope. This is why I personally find rope to be a really really useful tool. Aside from the fact that you can use it to bind, you can use it to uh, close off pouches that you're working with, to seal in a spell or a ritual by really sealing it, uh, whatever you're working with, with a rope. For me it's a really important tool because we will use it in our cord cutting. Um, I have Told y'all in the cord cutting episode that it's okay if you don't have anything on hand that you can visualize the cord and you can sever the cord with a sword in your mind with a pair of scissors or a dagger, but there is nothing like having that cord on hand to really set your intention into the physical cord itself, to see yourself really severing it or burning it over a candle, whatever your preferred method is, to feel that cord break, to feel it in your hands. You know, even when I'm talking about it right now, I can feel my hands like rubbing the stretch of a cord where you get that little burn a little bit. I mean, not like badly, but you know, it just makes you aware of it. It's so important to have that because I feel like it makes for a much more potent cord cutting when you have an actual rope or an actual cord available to you. I like to use red. You use whatever color you want. Um, I You know, it's, there's no rhyme or reason for that for me. I just like to use red. I think someone introduced it to me as red and that's why I associate it. Um But yeah, rope and cord are really important because cord cutting will come up so much as a witch and not even just for ourselves, but the cord cuttings that you have to assist other people with, that's probably the number two requested thing. Like number one is a love reading, which gosh, those can be so loaded. <laughs> but the second thing is the cord cutting. So it's always good to have it. Um, Whether, and sometimes you do just want to tie something off or uh, a rope or a cord, sometimes you do just want to tie something off. Sometimes you want to wrap up a pouch and wear it around your neck. So you need a cord for that. Sometimes you want to wrap up a wire and wear it around, uh, wrap up a wire, wrap up a crystal and wear it around your neck. So it is a very practical tool to have, but it's also um, for the cord cutting an essential tool to have if you ask me. There's also a type of magic called not tying not magic and it's magic performed by or while tying multiple knots into a rope or into a cord. It's something that comes from like a superstition of sailors. So I think it's really associated with like sea witches and mermaids. So I'm actually gonna look into that because, you know, I am that Uh, but yeah, so it's, if you practice that form of magic, it's also really good to have it on hand. Obviously you can't do knot magic without the knots, without the rope. So yeah, another essential witch tool. Next, I want to talk about candles. I know we have a whole episode about candles, but I think it was in like the first five weeks of this podcast. So not everyone's listened to it. And I've gotten a lot of questions about how I do my candle magic again. So it doesn't hurt to talk about it again. Um, candles are of course really important. They represent our element of fire they are my preferred way to cast spells. They are really important in divination when you can look into the flame and see what messages it has for you. Um, it's you use them as offerings are to honor deities. If you have a shrine in your house, um, or you have them on your altar as well uh, uh, as well, Um, you can use them for messages like the way that the flame moves or dances or the way the smoke billows will tell you certain things. And it's also, um, just used to set the mood of whatever ritual or spell you're doing. So I'm going to tell you all again how I like to do my magic. And hopefully this helps because I've been getting a lot of questions about it recently. I know it's hard to go back through 30 episodes <laughs> and try to like listen through the whole hour and a half to get to what you're trying to get to sometimes. So what I do is I select my candle. we will go over uh, the colors again after I tell you how I do it. So I have my candle. Let's say I want to do a love spell. Don't we? No. Let's say I'm gonna do abundance. Well, I'm tired of love. Hot girl summer. So <laughs> if I will get my green candle. I will. Um, people, a lot of people will set it in a bowl of water to make sure that it's safe, or um, set it in its own individual candle holder. I usually buy them in glass, and you know that's fine. Or you can just let it free. Uh, let it be free, as long as it's stable and not gonna tip over. But also, you know, don't leave a candle unattended. Here's my fire marshal talk for the episode. So what I do is I rub my hands together um, until they get hot. I like to get some good friction, a good heated energy. And I cup my hands around uh, the base of the candle. I speak my intention into it. I meditate on it. um, So if I'm doing something for abundance, I will just... I mean, I don't have... I told y'all before, I don't really have specific spells that I say all the time. I just kind of can say them out loud and they'll go into the right scheme of speaking a spell. But if I'm focusing on abundance, I will make sure to say the words abundance. I will um, bring in Lakshmi because she is associated with abundance. I will um, focus on the color gold in my mind. I will talk about if I'm looking for financial abundance, if I'm looking for opportunity abundance. If I'm looking for an abundance of health, I'll like focus down on that. So hands cupped, I talk to the candle. Once I have said everything I need to say, I will strike my match or I will clicky, my clicky fire thingy. I forgot what they're called. (laughs) You know, the thing like you used to, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. And I will light my flame. I will stare into the flame. I will kind of repeat my intention or I will keep like speaking in my spell cadence that I like to spell. My spell cadence that I can talk in and then the spell is in the candle. It is good to go. So from there, I will like watch how the candle's burning. I will watch how the smoke's coming out. If your flame, for example, (coughs) goes out immediately, it doesn't mean that your spell is not going to work. It just means that you have some obstacles in the way and the candle's alerting you of that. Or, (coughs) sorry guys, is my, am I just going to lose my voice right now? (laughs) I've been talking too long, obviously. Um, or if you light it and it's a really, really weak flame, it also represents that you have some obstacles in the way. It's okay. It doesn't mean that it's going to just all fall apart. You just have to put more of your intention and more of your energy and be aware of what those obstacles may be. So you can kind of clear them out. And so I, if I have to leave, I will, uh, s- snuff my candle out. I do not blow a candle out. Do not. nah, uh-uh. And I don't like to extinguish it with water. I will take like I don't have a snuffer thing, like an old school snuffer, which I need to Is that what's called a snuffer? Anyway, those are really cool. I need to get one. But I'll usually take like a heavy textbook. I don't, not a textbook. I don't have textbooks. I'm 32. Uh, I will take like a big fiction book and I'll put it over the top of the glass and watch the flame go out. And when that happens, I will just say, you know, like, thank you for the magic in this moment. I will be back to relight you, but I appreciate all you've done for me. So. Once I return to my candle, if I do have to snuff it out, I rel- I rub my hands together again, get that charge energy, cup the bottom, go through the whole thing again, light it, and we're good to go. So yeah, never blow out your candle. If you blow out a candle, you are blowing away everything that you just put into it. You are counteracting all the magic and the spell work that you were trying to complete. Do not blow it out. Snuff it out if you have to. Um, let the candle burn all the way out. And then once I'm done with that, I will dispose of it. Um, if it's just like a natural candle, like not in the glass... I will take the candle or like the remnants of it and I will bury it. Um, if, and with the glass, I will just, you know, say thank you. But I will recycle it because we want to have a green earth, hopefully. I mean, it's not looking too good, but we have to do our part. So I will recycle the glass. But when it's at the end, you always want to give thanks. You want to give thanks to any gods or goddesses or entities or angels that you've brought in. Um, a lot of the time I will ask Archangel Gabriel to be with me when I'm doing that kind of work. So thank them, thank the actual physical candle that you worked with. And once it's burned through, your magic is worked through. You should not try to do more than one spell with one candle. I have seen a few people say, oh, you know, I'll burn it to this point and then I'll start a new spell with it. I don't do that. I burn it all the way down. That, you know, that's candle magic according to Mickey. I like to see, like, I like to actually see the completion of the spell. When when the flame has burned all the way through and it's all melted and there's nothing left, then to me, it's like, okay, cool, spell, check, done. <laughs> so that is how I do my candles, um, how I do my candle spells, my candle magic. It's extremely important. Um, it's extremely important witch tool that we use a lot, a lot, a lot. So let me give you the colors one more time. In the candle magic episode, I gave you my version of the colors, which are a little bit swapped around, um, but I'll give you the traditional associations because when you're going out to pick out uh, your candles, You can go with that. You don't have to go with the colors because Mickey said so. Trust me. Okay, so for a white candle, peace, purity, healing, innocence, divination, exorcism. Hopefully, you don't have to be doing any of that. Black candle, safety, protection, banish negativity, pride, shape-shifting. Brown candle, house blessings, pets, animal, earth, stability, locating lost items. Orange candle, creativity, justice, legal matters, joy, ambition, opportunity, celebration. Purple candle, spiritual power, third eye, government. (laughs) All right. Break habits, drive away evil. Yellow candle, sun, intelligence, luxury, memory, masculinity, positive attitude. Pink candle, love, caring, friendship, maturity, affection, nurturing, femininity. Green candle, growth, luck, trees, plants, earth, nature, money, success, uh, banishing jealousy, and I will also say abundance. Blue candle. Protection, focus, forgiveness, good fortune, water, truth, and calm. And red right candle, passion, strength, fire, survival, career, lust, action, independence. And for red right candles, I would say more um, sensuality, sexuality. With pink candles, I would say more romantic love or also just like love in the sense between anybody, you know, like a, a family love or friendship love. So those are really like the traditional candle meetings. (laughs) But if you want to go back and listen to that episode, I give you all of the ones that according to me. So we have talked about brooms, cords, ropes, divination tools, and candles. And last but not least for this episode, not last in or least in all of witchcraft, but for our tool time series, we're going to talk about the athame. So your athame is your ceremonial blade. Um, typically it has a black handle. It is a double edged, double edged blade. I said that weird before. And so that's why I made myself just say it twice. Um, double edged blade that is used in casting a circle, much like a wand. It is going to be used to, uh, direct energy. It's not really something that's going to be like a sharpened blade, Um, but a lot of people will use it to carve sigils and symbols into candles for ritual work or for spell work. I have to go back and um, watch the craft with pleasure, but you know the scene where they're initiating themselves into their coven and kind of, you know, all agreeing that they're going to do this witch thing for real, and they they all uh, draw blood from a finger and they use a blade to do it, and then the blade is like each girl will take a turn placing it against another girl's throat. And there, the line is something like, I, I would rather rush upon this blade than, yeah, yeah, yeah. to like uh, betray the coven. I can't remember exactly. I can't believe I don't know that movie line by line for not, by now, but I guess I don't. And so I feel like in the movie, they did use an FMA because it. I feel like it had that look to it and it had the black handle, but it may have been a bowline, which is um another kind of blade that is used in witchcraft. It's a small sickle with a blade in the shape of a half moon. And this is going to be uh for your green witches, your kitchen witches that want to go and harvest herbs and flowers and branches. Um, it's something that I would also use in my cord cutting, although I do like a good old golden scissor. Like not a it doesn't have to be like a real gold, but <laughs> like a gold scissor, like an uh, antique mother of pearl handle scissor or something for a cord cutting. But again, you can also do it over the flame so athame is more ceremonial it is to direct magic you can kind of think of it as a wand and the boline is um for harvesting or cord cutting it's going to be a sharpened blade that you can actually use and use like as you would use a blade <laughs> as opposed to the athame but yeah i think and also the bowling will have um traditionally a white handle i think i th- think it was an athame that they used, but then they drew blood with it. But I mean, it's not really a sharpened blade in that capacity, but it's still a blade. So I think it could still be used to, you know, prick someone's finger. But my baddies, that is it. We have gotten to the end of our 10 witch tools, our tool time. <laughs> We're almost at an hour and a half. Who could have seen this coming, but that's okay. Cause we still have to get into our crystal of the week and just a tiny bit of homework and then we will be done. Okay. So our crystal of the week this week is pink termuline, tourmaline. Still can't say it, but I wanted to pick something pink and, you know, the feeling of love in it because I just dyed my hair pink and I'm just really feeling it. So I wanted to share some of those pink vibes with all of you. So we've talked about turmaline before. It is a amazing multifaceted, multifaceted, (laughs) multifaceted. Well, now I've said it too many times and I'm not sure what it is. It's a stone that can get your shit done, basically. So um, if you are feeling like tense or stress or a lot of anxiety, it's a stone that can help you with healing in that. Um, it really can alleviate and dissolve a lot of those feelings. You know, thinking about what we talked about where if something is meant for you doesn't mean it's meant forever. And if you're in a situation that was definitely meant for you, but it's also meant for you to move on from it, the pink tourmaline, tourmaline, sorry, can uh, help you dissolve away those feelings of anxiety or stress that you're worried about in that situation and help you be more clear headed and making a decision that is actually right for you and not a decision that you're feeling pressured to make or you're um, giving you the strength to make a decision that you're not too scared to make because of all the anxieties and the fears kind of coloring uh, that for you. It is a very strong feminine stone, so it can really balance you out with your masculine and your feminine energy. And um, it can invoke feelings of joy and hope and comfort and support and love. Again, you know, it can be romantic love. It can be familial love. It can be friendship love. But it's a stone that has just a really loving vibration. All those pink stones, you know, they just they just give you a good feeling. It's another stone like rose quartz that will actually attract love to your life, so it will bring love and happiness and just frivolity to an extent, like just good feelings and laughter and all of those things that when love leaves, you lose a little bit of that. But then when love finds its way back to you, you know, it's that special kind of joy or that special kind of, of just happy feeling. You know what I mean? It's just a different feeling. And I don't, again, it doesn't have to be just romantic love. Like even just love for yourself and being fulfilled in that way. It feels so good. I mean, honestly, I think it feels better than romantic love. Like, yeah, romantic love can give you fulfillment in certain ways and definitely in the beginning give you butterflies but that love for yourself that you know I hope we're all striving for and will achieve it just feels so good and you feel like you can breathe and you can just let things out and everything is sunshine it's just it just feels amazing and it brings laughter back into your world and it brings a ability to be ridiculous and silly and those are things that we need to release you know again with going with releasing like tension anxiety and stress Allowing love back into your life, especially self-love is something that's going to help you release those feelings as well. So that's why pink tourmaline (laughs) is so great because not the stone itself doesn't just make those feelings kind of evaporate and move on, but the love that it attracts to your life, whether it be romantic or love for yourself or familial love or friendship love or whatever, um, in finding that love, it will also help kind of push those stressors and anxieties and fears away from you. It just really puts you in a cheerful place, in a lively place, in a vibrant place, and tries to do its best, do its best to help you rise above, um, you know, just sadness and and negativity and feelings of dwelling and all of those things, feelings of loss, all those things that kind of bring down our temperament. Pink tourmaline will bring us back up. So it is a beautiful pink stone. I am wishing y'all some good pink vibes because I'm feeling the pink so hard. I think this is going to be my new forever color. Um, I don't know if you've like been to my Instagram and scrolled. <laughs> But I've been blue, green, purple, all over the map, red, but pink. Babes, I'm feeling the pink. So I'm sending you beautiful pink vibes because you know how much I love you. Your homework. So we didn't have homework last week because I wanted to complete the tools, the witch tools uh, episodes. But now that we have, I want you to take whatever is your favorite tool or the tool that you find the most comfort in working with, and I simply want you to do a little magic with it. So if it's a candle that is your preferred tool, I want you to burn your candle and do a spell. If it's a divination tool, if it's a card, if it's a crystal ball, I want you to do a reading. I want you to work on your communications and receiving messages. If it's a cauldron, I want you to cook something up. (laughs) If it's the broom, I want you to sweep something out. If it's the athame, I want you to cast a circle and direct some magic with it. Oh my gosh, we talked about, what else did we talk about? I can't remember. <laughs> we talk, I talk so much. We talk so much. But yeah, I, your homework is to simply take your favorite tool, your mortal impester. Oh my gosh. Mortar. Nope. Let's not do that. <laughs> but You know, everything we've talked about, these 10 tools, your homework, take your favorite tool and make some magic with it. And if you'd like, you can share it with the Facebook group, either what your favorite tool is or what magic you did with it or both. Perfect. You you can't do any wrong. Just do it with me. And also I am going to post when I meditate so we can do something together. And I think that'd be really great to have something we can all meditate on, like a common um, goal. And also let me know if you think of anything for our uh, Bad Witch Salwin Challenge that we can start on October 1st. Other than that, I love you so much. You can reach me at badwitchpodcast at gmail.com. You can join Patreon at patreon.com badwitch. Facebook group, the answer is The Craft. I also now accept The Covenant and Flubber and also Blubber because someone said Blubber and I lost my mind. Um, anything else? Oh, Teespring. I, I can't remember what it is. Click it below if you want to get some Bad Witch merch. And I think that's it. I love you. You deserve good. I'm proud of all of you. I am so happy you're here. We are... 31 weeks in, that is cuckoo bananas. I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so proud of all of you. Like, I cannot tell you enough. Every time you post in the Facebook group, anytime you email me, anytime you tweet me, DM me, anytime you're asking a question or you're giving advice to other witches and you're telling them books they should read and telling them, you know, what what your witch kid experiences are and all is sharing, y'all are just the best community I could have asked for. I'm truly obsessed with all of you. Like maybe I won't marry Bill Skarsgård or James Acaster and we can all just get married. Let's see what happens. (laughs) All right, my loves. Until next week, you deserve good. You deserve good. You deserve good. I love you so much. Blessed be and goodbye.